0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. It's great to see you guys today, and I'm excited to to share the next passage in Romans with you. I want to talk this morning about what Paul talks about, and he really starts addressing the topic in Romans chapter 2 is, is God fair? He talks about the impartiality of God. When I was a kid... I don't know that this has changed much, but kids want things to be fair, right? That's not fair. You know, that's not fair. And and truth, I have one sister, and I was careful about that whole fairness card. If we're riding in the car, you know, we had the back seat, little Toyota, two-door, we'd crawl into the back. You know, my dad's kind of a small car fan, so I just kind of grew up that way, bucket seats and You know, wanted to make sure that she didn't get any more of the space in the middle than I got, because life had to be fair, right? For all of us, it's not fair. We want fairness. It's how we play And Truth be known, I didn't realize this as a kid. I don't even know if I realized this very much as an adult, but really what we're not, what we really are wanting is our own, right? Like I never once said to my mom and dad, hey, that's not fair that my sister doesn't have as much as me. Hey, you didn't treat her fair, you know, when it benefited her. I only threw that card down when it benefited me, right? Because life really is a game and a competition. The fairness card, whenever people play that, it's really a sign of our kind of selfishness, usually looking out for number one. But I want us to address this morning is whether or not God is fair. Is God fair and how He oversees and rules the world? Is is God fair when there is not equal access to the Bible all around the world? You know, we some of you have been to, to Mexico and ministered with us to the Nahuatl people. We kind of put that on table with COVID and I've reached out back to the pastors. I'd like to go back there, but we were there when they had just gotten their first Bible in their own language. The Bible's been in English for, I don't know, at least since King James, all right? Thousands of years. I mean, hundreds of years. I don't know. I can't even do the math that quick on the stage. But is it is God not fair when so many languages around the world don't have a Bible to today still in their language? Is God not fair when there's not equal access to the gospel, you know, There's a lot of access to the gospel and Bible truth in the US. There's a lot of it in South Korea. There's a lot of it in Brazil. There's a lot of it in China. Not quite so much in North Korea. Not so much across the Middle East. Not quite so much in a lot of places in South Asia. So is God not fair when He oversees and rules this world and trying to give people opportunities for salvation? Is God playing favorites? You know, if we follow the thinking of uh, the modern, uh, think today is is that in ever in order for everything to be right, there has to be equal access across the board. And I'm not diving into politics so much right now, is but that's our thinking, right? We want everything to be averages. If God were fair, then there would be the same percentage of Christians in the Middle East as there are in the U.S. If God were fair, there would be the same percentages of Christians among men as well as women. I asked a professor once, in fact, he was a seminary president, just we were having dinner, there were several of us there, and it's kind of, sometimes like these questions come into my mind, and I just asked him, I said, are there going to be more women in heaven than men? And I thought I had asked him kind of a question that might stump him a little bit, and without hesitation, he said, oh, absolutely. Because I was looking around, and I knew at churches, I'm like, you know, I've been in churches a lot, and if I really were doing a nose count over the decades... There's a lot more faithful ladies than there are faithful guys, and without batting an eye, and I thought, huh, and our thinking today that would make God sexist and misogynistic, right? That's the way our world thinks like there's got to be the the exact same percentages across the board, like God, in order to be God, has to be the, the same in all of these things. Is God fair when he allows some people to experience hardships
1: and not others is 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 God? Fair and how he rules and oversees this world. By the way,
0: we're not going down this road today, but if we play that whole bell curve, perfect everything and all the fairness, it really does run against biblical principles and truths at a deep level. And So there's some things there to think through in your own world. But Paul, in chapter 2, verse 11, he said, God does not show partiality that God, one of his uh, complete, exact attributes and characteristics, if you will, he does not show favoritism to anyone on this planet regardless. And Paul's beginning to explain what exactly that means. So read with me in chapter 2. By the way, God is fair in that. We're not going to unpack that whole worldview, but we're going to talk about it as it applies to salvation and as it applies to people knowing him specifically, because that's what Paul's talking about here. Look with me in Romans chapter 2. The Bible says this, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Let me hit the pause button. Paul is beginning to talk about the whole difference between being Jewish, having the Bible, and not having the Bible, doing your own thing. And, and he's talking about those who have the knowledge of God, those who have the Bible in their little hands. In fact, to help us understand it, it might be a little easier to kind of, when you see the word law, it's specifically talking about the Old Testament law. But for us, 2,000 years later, it's talking about the Bible is how we apply it for ourselves. So in essence, for all who have sinned without the Bible, we would say in verse 12, will also perish without the Bible. In other words, if somebody's never had the Bible in their hands, never had that opportunity, never read it, never been to church, never been to River Kids class or Sunday school or vacation Bible school or anything, that they will also die without that. And all who have sinned under the Bible will be judged by the Bible. In other words, if you had Bible knowledge or you have not had Bible knowledge, you're all, we're all going to be judged accordingly. For it is not, in verse 13, the hearers of the law or the hearers of the Bible who are righteous before God, who are good and right. It's not those, but it's the doers of the law, the doers of the Bible, who will be justified. For when Gentiles, Gentiles is code for people who do not know God, who do not follow God, is basically everybody else people who follow other religions, people who are atheists, people who are agnostics, who aren't sure, all of those individuals. That's what the idea of Gentiles is. For when the people who are not followers of God, who are not Christians, who are not Gentiles, who do not have the law or the Bible, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law or the Bible is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Wow, we're getting into some deep stuff here back and forth and it takes a little bit to even just follow the logic. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, is God fair? Does God show partiality to people who have the Bible and go to church and who have an understanding of it and pursue God to some degree? Is God fair to those individuals who've never had that opportunity, who've never had the Bible, who did not have it a mom and dad that taught them, regardless of what country they're in, regardless if they're sitting in a, another nation, regardless whatever religion they're in? Is God fair is he going to judge both of them the same? And what Paul says in a resounding way is absolutely yes. There is no, There are no perks to being in one group or the other. There's no deficit to being in one versus the other because God ultimately, when we stand before him, he is going to look at our life and he's going to dig in into our hearts. So there's some challenging things to think about in here. What Paul is saying is, is it doesn't matter if a person never had exposure or the opportunity, we would say in this world, to be saved or not. It doesn't matter that they never had, that no one ever sat down to share with them that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, that they could be saved. That's irrelevant. Now, that's a challenge for us because we don't think that's fair. The, those in the room that have a law enforcement background will know that ignorance of the law is no excuse. A couple of years ago, I was walking out from hunting. My son and daughter and I were both hunting, something we like to do together. And sun had set, and we were walking on the way to, to to get back in the car to come home. And there was a guy who was also hunting in front of us. I don't remember if he turned around or not, but he said, hey, just so you know, the the conservation officer's up here. I hope you have your licenses. He was kind of giving me a heads up. I don't know if he thought I was going to like duck in the bushes or something. You know what I mean? I just like... I've seen enough shows. That never ends up well. I'm going to stand there like, okay, you got me, you know? I mean, that's just kind of the way that I'm going to roll. But I'm kind of like, yeah, thanks. But you know, like, yeah, we had our licenses or really one of those deals, like, pretty sure I got my license, man. I hope I do. (laughs) You know, I try to be careful with that. And so we went into the, you know, to the car and put our stuff down and he, he chatted us up. Really nice guy. And so we pulled it out, and I keep mine in a little bag. And and I had my daughter's with me because she was, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen at the time, young, you know. And when you're doing things like that, you just—it's one of those things. It's so easy to misplace. It's not like when you're driving in a car and you slip it in your wallet and you've always got it. And and so I pulled out my bag and I handed him. I said, "Hey, here's mine. Here's my daughter's." And he talked more. My son is older. I'm like, "It's on you, buddy. If you don't have it, like you—you got to be an adult." And then the officer proceeded to tell me that I was breaking the law by carrying my daughter's license, and I was floored. You know, I kind of, I try to follow the laws and everything, and they change every year, and I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm like, even for a 14 or 15 year old, I just didn't want to have to deal with, you know, teenager, just whatever. And he's like, yeah, and, and the reason is is because pe- guys will carry somebody else's license in the wood, and they'll lie, and they'll put fill out tags on their stuff, and I'm like, I get it, but I was floored. The officer could have written me a ticket that day and given me a citation. He didn't. He just educated me. See, ignorance of the law in our world is no excuse. Ignorance of the law in God's world is no excuse. We don't like that. There is something in us that's like, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. Nobody told me. I didn't know. Remember, two weeks ago, God said, the Bible tells us that there's enough evidence in the world around us to show and to prove the awesome existence of God, that there's enough things in the world that whatever stage a person is in, whether they're six years old or 60 years old, there's enough for a person to say, whoa, how did this, just, how did this happen? This is not by accident. There is something behind all of this that I need to deal with. It. You and I are responsible and accountable to God. So individuals who've not ever had the opportunity for the Bible ever had the opportunity to know Jesus, are just as accountable for their sins just as you and me. Now, On the flip side, just because we're religious, just because we consider ourselves Christians, and we'll talk a little more about that as this rolls along today, that's not good enough either. That really, at the end of the day, being a very religious individual or being a very non-religious individual, being a nonchalant individual... Both of those individuals will stand before God, and what God is going to judge is not the presence and absence of religion. He's not going to judge what persons, you know, how much they got involved in doing things in life. He's not even going to be looking at how much they got involved in doing good things. He's going to be looking at our life to see what uh, what our sin life is all about, and whether or not we've got that wrong in our hearts and how we've lived in our world. That we will all stand on equal footing before God in heaven, that there's not going to be any differences based on our religious experience or different faiths or anything, that we all stand exactly the same before God, that He is not an impartial judge in heaven. Well, how can this be? How is this realistic? Well, Paul explains it. He says, look, when the Gentiles, in other words, the people that don't follow God in verse 14, they don't have the Bible, they don't have the law, but when by their nature, they do what the Bible requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. And he goes on and he talks about what's written in our hearts, the Bible that's written in people's hearts, and the conscience of individuals bearing witness to accuse or excuse them. If I were teaching a class in a Bible college and seminary, I would be like, okay, this is going to be a test. What are two things that Paul and Romans 1 and 2 explain to why that are a witness to everybody on this planet, regardless if they've ever been in a church or not, whether or not they've opened the Bible or not, whether or not they've heard the name of Jesus or not. There are two witnesses that every person has. That's one is the creation world that I just talked about, that Paul talked about in Romans 1. But the second is the conscience in our heart. You see, everybody around the world understands that there are differences between right and wrong, that there are differences between things that are shameful and honorable. Every culture, every people, every community or nation might quibble over exactly what's on that short list, some of the things are going to be the same. I don't know that there's a culture... Well, I, guess I just discovered one. As I was about to say that. <laughs> I was about to say there's not a culture in the world that says rape's appropriate, but actually there are some. And I'll leave that one out that will go down that road. But every culture will, will define what's on that list a little bit differently. But a lot of the things are the same. But every culture recognizes Because of the conscience in our heart that God has placed inside of each individual that we are made in the image of God. We're damaged, we're broken, but it's still in there inside of us. And we say, wait a minute, that was wrong. That's why people who've never read the Bible or doubt the existence of God or who absolutely say God doesn't exist will feel bad when they've done something wrong. Because they inside of their hearts have the witness of God to what is appropriate and what's not. So God has placed inside of each and every individual those sensitivities and those realities. As we talked a little bit last week, when we ignore those things, whether a person is a follower of Jesus or not, been in church or not, is irrelevant. That heart is a spiritual organ before God. Their conscience is before God. And when we sin and we don't deal with that sin, it gets harder and harder and hardener. That's why we talk about hardened criminals. There's so many things in our culture around us don't even realize today that just have biblical backgrounds and biblical moorings, but people that have become hardened in where they are. But all sin will harden us in that way. So Paul is saying we all stand before God, judged before him, because God looks at our life and he says, Sinner, 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 you've done wrong. You have disobeyed me wrong. And we are all in that boat. Now, if that's a reality... Here's a basic application that we as a church need to take seriously. That means every single person in the world around us, whether they go to church or not, whether they have been in church all their life or not, whether they've never even had an opportunity to be in a church, whether it is they live in a country that's illegal to have a church or not, but every person stands before God and they are hurtling down a road in their life that one day their life will come to an end and they will stand accountable to whatever they have done in their life. Paul talks about that that day that we are going to be judged. In fact, we are going to be judged according to Jesus Christ that our, the secrets of humanity, of our heart, are going to come out. Those are the things that condemn us the most. I don't lose a lot of sleep if I speed down the road and get pulled over. I don't like the ticket, I must admit. So I'm more out of just like, I'm a thrifty individual. If I stay under this limit, I, everything's good. That really drives the equation more, more for me than anything else out there.
1: I don't lose a lot of sleep about it. It's the secrets in our heart that are the big ones. It's the ones that are down inside, and we we have lost this in the culture around
0: us. And if we're not careful, we've lost it even in the church. That when we think we're alone and think that's no one's watching, God's there, and He sees. Regardless of whatever anybody else around us sees, you know. Early on with the internet, we thought, oh, nobody's going to see this. And now, if you're at all at all in tune, like everybody. Not everybody sees where you're going on the Internet. Somebody has always seen where you're going on the Internet. Always. Always. And just like that, God will reveal and open the secret vaults of our heart and our lives will be laid bare to Him. And because of that, we need to tell people about Jesus. Because of that, we need not to assume that everybody is okay, that just because a person seems to be a good person and been to church all their life that everything's good. Paul is like, doesn't matter. You can be brought up in church or not and be just as far from God. You can be a very religious, deeply religious person, say you love the Bible, and be just as lost, just as messed up in your soul as somebody who's never heard the name of Jesus, that we stand before God in all those points. And so we as individuals, as a church, should recognize that we are swimming in a world of people whose lives are hurtling toward eternity. And the vast majority
1: are not ready for it. And we're on a rescue mission day in and day out as we live our life. You know, when the hurricane
0: hit Turkey, whether a person had been trained in rescue or not, whether they had first aid training or not, whether they know how to, you know, officially been certified to move rubble and move things or not, everybody who was alive was a rescuer because of the tragic just, I mean, what is it? Is it up to 50,000? I mean, somewhere it's headed up that way. If people have died, over 100,000 people have been injured. I mean, just, we just, we we have no clue what that is like. You know, most we get a little bit of ice storm and, you know, a blizzard or two. That just, we are... Flood every hundred years or whatever. Just we have no clue what that devastation is like. But we are living in a world where we, that is the spiritual devastation that we live in day in and day out. Because that is the spiritual norm of everyone around us. And that's why, you know, we do things like Care Portal. We want to minister to people and serve them physical needs, taking to kids who are at risk and have needs that either culture's forgotten them or their biological parents or whomever. And so we provide through really what all we give. We just take a percentage of that and make it available and buy beds or you know, a table or, or whatever, shoes or coat for these kids so that they can know, one, that somebody cares about them, but two, we want them and whoever it is that's taking care of them to know that God cares about them. And that's why ultimately and a picture that I have for us is that every person who serves on that care portal team would be able to and be trained to be able to share their salvation story, to be able to share their testimony, so that we're not only just giving physical life, but we're offering eternal life. That's why when we go to you go to work and when I hang around with pastors, so I probably need to pray that they get saved too. That would be a good thing. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Every once in a while, a pastor will be like, oh my goodness. I don't know Jesus. That happens occasionally. It really does. So, But it's why we should you should pray for the people around you that you go to work with. Not just that you get through the day and they won't drive you crazy. I mean, there's a little bit of that too that's legitimate and good, but pray that God would open their heart, that they would hear and know the truth, that because their life matters to God. That as we live, we should live with a sober reality. It means we ought to be in relationship with people. Even the people of the list that we let, read a couple of weeks ago just doing all of these things. That we should be in relationship with them. Increasingly, the culture around us is painting the picture that if you believe the Bible and believe these things are true, you are nothing but a hateful, judgmental, harsh, critical, bigot, misogynist, pick out whatever word, extremist, increasingly I'm seeing that word thrown around even more. I'm just like, my goodness, I don't feel like an extremist of anything, you know? And we're just, people are getting painted left and right. Here's the deal. Those words will stick when you and I fail to be friends broadly with the people around us. Because in a vacuum of information, people fill it in with whatever they've heard somebody else say. And the way you fight that isn't to say, well, I'm not an extremist, I'm not a bigot, I'm not a whatever. The way to do it is you just demonstrate it. Be real with people that are different from you, that you don't know, and engage them, be friends, and have them be hospitable to them and engage them, care for them along the way, that you and I, more than ever, it is so important that we live out that sense of hospitality and just care and relationally of people it's so important. Because if we don't do that, what the enemy's doing is he's trying to he's trying to put a wall between the whole world and the truth that you and I have. And the way that we break through that is just continuing to, regardless, to care for people and engage them because their world matters. Well, Sean, it's hard to do that. And a lot of those people just don't like me. I get it. I'm not saying that, you know, you go and hit your head against the wall. I'm not saying that. Somewhere along the way, you pray
1: quietly and keep your mouth shut. But you don't keep it shut all the time. Maybe with that one person. Because along the way,
0: some of those individuals are going to see something. And they're going to want to know why you're different. And they're going to want to know why you have a joy. In a peace in the middle of some really bad circumstances, maybe even some bad circumstances of just your own family and life. They're like, how are you keeping it together? But this world is lost. It means this means that when we go into our overseas and our trips overseas, that we help people, not just physically, but we always want to share the gospel with people. See, see folks, here's the deal. It would be easy for us. It, we're as churches, we're more at risk than ever before. Poverty is such a huge thing in our world, and it's such a, 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 a focus. And we even as churches can feel good about that, like helping that. And the world around us is like, that's good. You care about poverty, and we should. But if we along the way aren't teeing up being able to share the gospel and help them with that, the picture is this. It's like, it's like putting somebody in a car that we know 50 miles down the road, they're going to run into a brick wall at 100 miles an hour and are going to be dead like that. But we want to make sure they're clothed well, and they've got some good snacks in the car, and the radio's turned up nicely, and the seats are comfortable, and take care of all of that. And meanwhile, they're headed into an eternity without Christ. So we want to help the physical needs all day long but folks, if we do not keep a really clear fix on the spiritual needs, we're just making people comfortable till they go to hell, and that's really like that's not what God wants us to do. So we need to take this seriously what Paul's talking about is that hey, the whole world is standing judged before God. Here all around the world, and we shouldn't just take a comfort
1: in where what we
0: where we think people may or may not be that God is an impartial judge and judges everyone. Let me move on quickly. I chewed up most of my time on that first point, so i got to do the next two really quickly. Look what the Bible says in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, in other words, let me put it for us. If you call yourself a Christian, you claim to be a Christian, and you, in verse 17, and you rely on the law or rely on the Bible, and you boast in God, and you know His will, and you prove what's excellent. In other words, you've been around the block, you know what the Bible says, you know what's good, you know what's right and what's wrong. And because you've been instructed, you are instructed from the Bible, the law, in verse 18. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. In other words, you are a card-carrying member, Bible-believing, going-to-church kind of person. You've been instructed your whole life about these things. And you're convinced you got it figured out and you know
1: what's going on. And you can even teach and tell other people what they should know about. Here's the other shoe to fall if you're waiting for it. You then, in verse 21, who teach others, do you not teach
0: yourself? Paul's like, yeah, I see all the credentials you've got, but what happened? You're busy looking at everybody else's sin and you're not dealing with your own. While you preach... Against stealing, do you steal? You who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, in other words, boast in the Bible, you dishonor God by breaking the Bible, the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul is saying, he's leaving the shocking sins, the kind of more
1: notorious sins before, and he's like, hey, here's the sins of good, upstanding Christians. Are you committing adultery? Are you stealing? Are you not doing what you should be doing? What are are you doing? Why are you you telling people not to follow idols, but yet you yourself are giving into
0: following something else in your heart? You see, the second thing that Paul tells us this morning is, is that Considering yourself a Christian is not good enough. Considering yourself to be right with God is not good enough. It's not enough. We in our culture think that largely. Well, I've been in church all my life. I got baptized when I was a kid. My mom and dad took me to church. been there all my life. I believe that. I believe Jesus.
1: I believe God. All of it. I'm a good person. And Paul's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. God's not an impartial God. He's going to judge
0: you the same way, and He's not looking at your religious credentials. He's not looking at all of your
1: experiences. He's looking at your life, and none of that matters. None of that other stuff matters before God.
0: When I was in college, I uh, helped build houses. I learned a lot of carpentry and construction skills. By the way, every kid ought to do that somewhere along the way. Oh my goodness, you want to save money just... Go build, learn to build houses for a couple of years. Like it'll pay you far more down the road than it did just during those two years. But uh, I was always envious of the plumbers a little bit. Like plumbing is a great job if you're doing new construction. It kind of gets stinky when you're like the remodel side, but the other side's pretty good. But those guys, when it was cold in Maine and zero degrees outside, I mean, they were cool. They could sit down and heat up their soup for lunch with their little torches and just, you know. That was back when all plumbing was copper and it wasn't, you know, plastic like today. I'm just like, those guys have got it made, you know. It's just amazing. But I noticed that one thing that they would do once they, you know, did their plumbing run is they would pressure test the house. They would pump the pressure up in the pipes, up more than 50 or 60 pounds, what typical domestic pressure is. I don't remember what they put, 90 or 100, something like that. Plumbers in the room, you can correct me later. And they would put a a gauge on it. They would put a a pressure gauge on it, and they'd let it sit because they wanted to know before the flooring went into the house and the sheetrock went up and everything was all set that they didn't have leaks. They didn't want one single leak anywhere in that system. And if you'd asked them, like, hey, do you think you soldered that? Do you think you sweated that really well? Oh, yeah, I'm a good plumber. I don't think I leaked anything. But they know that
1: sometimes you miss things. And all it would take would be one leak, and that whole system would fail, right? Here's the thing we are like that in our life. We think that we've done good work and all this religious stuff and good person. But we need an outside standard. Outside of us, that tests every square millimeter of our life, because there's leaks, and that's what God's telling us that we
0: might think that we're in pretty good shape, and God's like, "Yeah, you got a leak here. Yeah, you got a leak here. Yeah, you're ooh, you're squirting out. Ooh, you're blowing hard over here. You didn't even know that one was going on." And that's what God is doing. He's holding you and I accountable not to our standard of religiousness or goodness. He's holding us accountable to His standard of perfection. And folks, the day is coming. The judgment day is coming. When we stand before Him without any (laughs) chance of reprieve or anything if we get this one wrong, this is not a, well, you can take the grade over again. There's no summer school here. There's no, purgatory is not a real thing. That's like, you get one shot at this in your life. And so Paul is trying to help us to realize like we are all, we are
1: all in that boat that God is looking at us in our life and claiming to be a follower of Jesus.
0: Being a religious person isn't good enough. One of the easiest ways to damn your own soul is to look at the sins of other people.
1: We talked about that a couple weeks, right? Looking at other stuff and then building up lots of religious for yourself. There's
0: no better way to condemn your soul ultimately than just focusing on all those guys that are doing such bad things over there and saying, but look at all the good and religious that I've done. Look at all of these. And God's like, I'm not looking at any of that stuff. I'm looking at you. (laughs) I don't care what anybody else has done. I'm looking at you. And I don't care about all this stuff, this religion and how good you are and all that. I'm looking at your
1: life. And the pressure test is at zero. And you've got nothing but sin in your heart. Third thing I want you to know. So what really is a Christian? Is a
0: Christian people who just go to church and believe the Bible and do Christian things been baptized or pray? or No, there's more to it than that. Verse 25, for circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Here's where it gets a little dicey. Like, Sean, we're in church. Why are we talking about circumcision? What in the world? So Jew, if you were a good Jew, circumcision was a big, big, big deal for boys. Girls,
1: you just kind of got grandfathered in or whatever the term is. That was It was, it was a boy thing on the eighth day. And it was kind of a mark, literally, (laughs) of being a Jew. It was a mark that you were a
0: child of God, that you were in that covenant race with God and all of that. And Paul is about to say, doesn't matter. The circumcision isn't really what makes you a Jew. He kind of is undoing it here. I'm going to apply it to us in a minute. I'm going to meddle a little bit with you. I'm going to mess with you some, so buckle your seatbelts. But he says this. He says, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law... In other words, a flaming person who doesn't like God, not a part of God's family, doesn't keep the law, will not his uncircumcision
1: be regarded as circumcision? In other words, it's just as good if he's doing what God says, even if he's not
0: circumcised? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code. In other words, you have the Bible and you have circumcision but break the law. Lord, so what if you're religious? So if you have the Bible, you've done all these things, but but you've broken God's laws. You're leaking. What good is it? The guy who doesn't have your religion but does all these things naturally is going to condemn you that you're guilty because you're doing the things that you shouldn't be. He says in verse twenty-eight: for no one is a Jew. Think think this. This is really, really. I'll put this: if you're a Bible note taker, put in here Christian. If, if no one is a Christian
1: who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical.
0: Tell that to the kid at eighth day when he gets circumcised, but he's like, there's more going on in here than just physical. He says, but a Christian, a Jew, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Here's what Paul's saying. He's like, look, guys, this whole circumcision thing is an outward act. That's not what makes you a true follower of God. It's something you do on the outside. What really is the issue is where your heart is. The circumcision of your heart. The circumcision is merely an Old Testament picture of a cutting away of sin. It put God's mark on the individual and it was something that God commanded for the people to be a, a picture, literally, of them being the follower of God. But it was something out done outside of themselves. That's not what saved them. For us as Christians, from what I can tell, most people in place of this put kind of the, the, the ordinances, like baptism. Well, of course I'm a Christian. I got baptized when I was a kid. Of course I'm a Christian. I participated in the You know, the communion. I did first communion. You know, I participate in the Lord's Supper. Of course I'm a Christian. I pray. I do Christian things. Look at all of these
1: things. And Paul's saying, all of that stuff is irrelevant. Well, Sean, I've got a certificate of my baptism. Like, it's there. Folks, as
0: difficult as it is, God's not going to be like, hey, do you have a little certificate on your wall? You know, when you stand before him, he's not going to be looking at any of that. This is humbling. What Paul is doing is throwing under the bus all of our religious backgrounds. Every denomination in the room, if you have and take stock in, I don't care if you're Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian or Catholic or uh, Nazarene, Assembly of God, Presbyterian, Reformed. I don't know who else I can offend and throw under the bus. Atheist, agnostic, just like none of that matters to God. He's not impressed with any of it. And what he says is, I'm looking at your heart. And what matters is, your, has your heart been circumcised? Has the Holy Spirit changed you on the inside? You know, we talk about the life change that comes when people know Jesus. What God wants to do is to do spiritual surgery in our soul regardless
1: of what church we've ever grown up in or what we're in right now. And He wants us to experience repentance and faith. Turning away from our sin as repentance and turning toward
0: Jesus in faith. Putting our full surrender trust in Him. That's why we talk about surrender. (laughs) Surrender is really repentance and faith together. It's us saying, I'm lost. I'm going to stand before God and all my religious trappings get me nowhere. We're so good as people trying to cover over our sin by looking down at others and what bad things they do, and we feel like the more elaborate our Christian traditions can be, the better off we are. Really what it is is more and more of a smokescreen, even to our own soul. That's kind of, to be honest with you, why we run a kind of a stripped-down version of religion here at River. We're not the only one that does it. Other churches do it. Some of you come come from traditions where Lent is a big deal it's a good thing it's certainly you know not a bad thing it's very appropriate we tend not to do that here because i feel like there's enough smoke screens like people have over the years like rely on all of these traditions to why they're okay with god and none of it's in the bible not one bit of it none of it like if we're going to do any traditions let's 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 go camping because there's one of the one of the Old Testament feasts where they would go make these tents of booze. Like, I'd be in on that one, you know. Let's go spend a week and just the whole church goes camping. That would be awesome, you know. But we tend to try to strip it down and I genuinely mean this. For some of you, you miss that because it was meaningful to you. But as a pastor, what I've just, I've learned that so many people struggle with so many of the trappings and the, all of the traditions that it gets in the way. And so... At the end of the day, you either got Jesus or you don't. At the end of the day, He's either circumcised your heart, you repented and believed in Him, or you don't. Like any of the other stuff, it really gets in the way for a lot of people. And so we kind of run a, you know, we we are not the luxury model church here in so many ways, right? You're not here for the incredible facilities (laughs) and the, the perks, you know? But we just... Stripped down like we got Jesus in the Bible, and if that's not what you want, we just, you know, there's not a lot
1: around here for you. So what this means is, is we need to take a deep stock in our soul. Where are we? Have you trusted in all of those trappings? Or are you
0: truly trusting in Jesus? Have you truly, at some point in your life, beyond when you were just a baby and didn't know what was going on, but sometime, whether it's childhood or through your adult, in your heart of hearts, realize that you are a sinner before God, laid bare, and that only the Lord Jesus in heaven can forgive you of your sin, not your past baptisms, not any classes you took, not any pronouncement by any church you were a member of, Not any good things in your life because God's looking past all of that and He's looking right into your heart and into your soul. And He's looking for one thing. Have you turned from your sin and put your full faith and trust in Jesus? In the picture here, has your heart been circumcised? Has He cut
1: away that sin? And has the Holy Spirit come inside of you and renewed you and made you a child of God? When that happens, it
0: changes your life. It's a change. That's why we talk about life change. That's why baptism's a such a picture of that. It's a picture of you dying to your sin, and you go into the water, and it's a picture of coming. You come up out of the water, that new, brand new life from a
1: circumcised heart and a circumcised soul. If you haven't really received Jesus, you ought to do that. You ought to do it today. And I, I don't know
0: how to say it any plainer or clearer. The. People that scare me the most, it's actually the hardest to share the gospel with, are very religious people with lots of church in their background. It's easy for me to talk to people of other cultures, other religions, agnostic, atheists. They're a piece of cake. It's the person who's been religious all their life, thinks they're okay because they've trusted in all of that stuff or their denomination that they were part of. And at the end of the day, Jesus is speaking to, to you especially like, You stand before God the same way as everybody else does, and none of that matters. So especially if that describes you, I encourage you today to take stock of your life and talk to somebody, whether it's me, or at least put a flag up or send a text or email. It's like, hey, I want to follow up on that. I want to make sure my system can resist a pressure test that I'm ready. Because folks, once we stand before God, there is no second chance. That's it. That's reality. For the rest of us, if you've taken that, step of faith and have done that sometime in your life? Be grateful for it. Put your continued hope and trust in there. But be careful.
1: Are you still looking
0: down your nose at other individuals? And are you just kind of giving yourself a blind pass? Because Paul's calling you and I on the carpet too. Like, hey, you teach this and this and
1: this. But are you doing the exact same things? There's a word for that. What do we call it? It's called being a hypocrite. And last time I
0: checked, none of us in this room like to be around people that are hypocrites. Not one of you like, oh yeah, I'm
1: excited. I love to be around people that say one thing and do something else. They're great. I don't think it's awesome. None of us like that. To a degree, we all battle sin. I'm not, I hope you guys know that. we on along the way to
0: not ever get comfortable with sin but we want us to get to the point where we find our comfort in God and to deal with it and find our hope and our peace and our joy in there. So wherever God has been kind of speaking into your heart this morning, you need to respond to Him today. Respond to Him. If you need to talk to somebody, do it. Do it today. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank You for the Lord Jesus, for salvation, for forgiveness of our sin. Lord, help us to respond to You to right where we are. Thank You for the plain truths, Lord. I'm so grateful that your word doesn't have different Christian denominations. I'm so grateful that those really are irrelevant. But you look past all of it. Lord, forgive us when we put more stock in the denomination
1: or the church that we were brought up in. Lord, at the end of the day, all we've got is your Bible. And all we've got is you through Jesus.
0: Everything else is just trappings. So Lord, help us to truly just be obedient and pursue you, I pray.